I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This man is in a job because Presnel Kimbatbe turned his back on Man United's third choice fullback having a spank of his bad foot that was flying widely over the bar and wide. That's why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the Manchester United manager. It's insane stuff. And his only achievement in three years is making a profit on Dan James. <laughs> this is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look So I left while you were sleeping That's all it took found an old blog I used to write back in 2010. This is the reason I got into writing in the first place, the reason I stumbled into journalism. Nobody's ever going to see that again, don't worry, I'm the only one who knows where it is. Villa had lost the League Cup final, remember, 2010, Martin O'Neill, Richard Dunn mistake, Michael Owen goal, United didn't even care, like I was crying about it after and it just there was just another trophy for United, although they weren't going to get many more as it turned out, but at the time it wasn't that important for them. And look, this was a way for me to gather my thoughts and I didn't know that many Villa fans so it was like a way of reaching out to try and see if there's anybody else out there hurting like me. But before influencers were a thing, I was really, really trying my best through that website to break the mold and if you consider the three tabs that were on the website, you'll see why. First one was home, second one was about us and the third one, if the about us category wasn't enough, Q&A with Conan Doherty. <laughs> <laughs> that's right questions by me asking myself a pile of questions that nobody asked me that i felt important to commit to print so anyway like had favorite like a load of stuff in their favorite player was one of them i was talking about gareth barry and how he burned me and like you know the first cut is the deepest and blah 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 and then that was the moment i crowned james milner as the chosen one didn't know that it was going to age after five months and he was going to leave as well but under favorite player i had honorable mention and i honestly you have to remember this is young conan this is 2010 i honestly did not mean for this to sound so erotic it reads i can't lie anymore steven gerrard is my guilty pleasure (laughs) the man is a machine his athleticism his power dot 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 i would love to know what it feels like to be in his body I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt and say that I, you know, I saw how fit he was from a purely uh, sports science point of view, and I thought he must feel great, not that he must feel great. <laughs> you know, blah blah blah. He steps up. He's a leader. He's a warrior. Eleven years on, Stephen Gerrard is us, and Villa Park absolutely love it. And I can't even imagine what young Conan would be feeling right now. <laughs> Turned on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what a day. Philip Park's bouncing. It's great to see him. Yeah, it was, yeah. And you could really see what he was trying to do and the team would have suited him to play in as well. I mean, the high front free that should have been defending against Brighton's defenders as opposed to worrying about their wing backs and 
tightening and shortening the space between the defenders and the forwards. I mean, it didn't really work, but it will. <laughs> with, with, with McGinn and Ramsey, that allows you to do that. I mean, playing against a team of worse players allows that as well. And then having Kanza and Mings should also allow it to be even more effective because of their pace and strength. They can squeeze the pitch and will always be... We'll always be looking for that system going going forward now, I think, because that is the way he wants to play. McGinn and Ramsey are Gerard light, and I mean that in the most extreme sense possible. Yeah. But that front three that he played today was it was dysfunctional. To play this system, it doesn't work with those players. I mean, there are gonna be games that we can play Ings and Watkins in, and there are going to be games that we can't, and systems that will be ruined by playing the two of them. And not only is it Jared's job to make those decisions, but it's also a job to make those players happy with their overall role in the squad, to get them to buy into it and accept their position. And the fact that they won't play every game, to motivate them and get them chomping at the bit, putting each other under pressure with their attitude and performances in some sort of virtuous circle. But it's annoying that we have to be here on the first game of Gerrard's and talk about that terrible decision to play Ings with Watkins again. I mean... Has he not seen Villa play this season? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And the, the first half, the first ten minutes of each half were encouraging, though. Like, let's not get away from that. The, the, the pace of the passing, letting the ball go, letting it do the work, Conor. Like there was one with McGinn winning it on the right wing and playing it around the corner into the centre forward before he's even set himself. I mean, three weeks ago, that ball is going back to Martinez, and yeah. I'm going into cardiac arrest. <laughs> Yeah, like the first 10 minutes were electric, like not not just from the crowd, not, not even from an up and at him point of view. And there was a big part of that. But you're right, like the, the, the one touches and, and the players had players around them in attack. Like there were options. The ball was being left off. There was a bit of confidence about it all. McGinn got up and won two headers in a row in the ninth minute. Like it really summed up like how much Villa were more on a front foot. And like I, I mentioned last week, how I enjoyed Gerard talking the talk and I thought like you know this this sounds like a manager I'm going to get on board with but he walked the walk today he came out he looked well he he was strutting down he had a good mojo about him he was a nice aura and like before the game so I hadn't watched the press conference from Thursday like the, the big one with Christian Perslow and Lange um I was, just, I was just very busy and I thought I don't want to watch this while I'm busy so I was just going to save it for a time when I was free and I stuck it on at two o'clock today and I watched the whole thing and like I know I shouldn't do this, and it's probably really insulting. It's definitely really insulting for Gerard, but I couldn't help but compare him with Frank Lampard <laughs> in, in those situations where, like, he's he's just so comfortable in himself. Um, I was thinking about Lampard being so defensive, and it's such a need for people to like him or to write the right thing about him. And it seems like that's just a that's just a world that Gerard's not operating in. He's operating in his own world, what he wants to do. He's clear-headed in that. It was good just to talk or to get this insights from Christian Purcell and Lange about the process. And he was making a joke about how they were grilling him and they wanted details about how he was going to bring this project forward. But he seemed to really know what he was talking about. And uh, he just, if he talks to the talk, he looks the part as well. Yeah, I mean, like he's he's big and he's fucking hard, and he's better than <laughs> better than Frank Lampard. And Frank Lampard as a player was definitely better at just indiscriminately spanking the ball towards goal and seeing the ball ricochet off three or four defenders before it ended up in the net. <laughs> <clears throat> he was definitely better at that, but I can understand that's why some people couldn't just say that Jared was better. Jared was a much more dynamic player; he had way more to his game. He can play in he could play in more positions. But the argument persisted through both of their careers. If that argument <laughs> rears its head during their management careers, <laughs> then I am not going to be happy. <laughs> what is the equivalent? It's like, who's better, Roy Keener, Jemba Jemba? <laughs> <laughs> One day, children will argue this out. Anyway, let's get into it. 1 0. Took a while to get there. We'll go through the goals. Nakamba interception and shows composure in his own box. They pick out. A man who has just been shifted into central midfield, Ashley Young, within a minute of being moved into midfield, El Ghazi's on the pitch as well. I always feel better when El Ghazi's on the pitch, you know, as long as he's not really that involved. But when things <laughs> when things are going well, I just love seeing El Ghazi turning around to the crowd. He just, I don't know, he reminds me of good times. There's a bit of Tim Sherwood feels about El Ghazi now. Um, 
Young goes on this mazy run from his own box, finds Watkins. El Ghazi makes a nice run in fairness to him. I thought Watkins should have played him through, but nah, nah. Watkins comes across, and the finish. And then we see Gerrard going crazy on the sideline. And you know what? We went 1-0 up late on. You know, and a team were, were shading it against us, especially throughout the most of that second half. And it lifted from there. We didn't cower. We didn't go back. The intensity level went up. We stepped forward. Like, we didn't even think. It just it just rose. And they put their foots on Brighton's throats and pressured them even more and attacked even more. And they finished the game off. Yeah, they certainly did. Yeah, young into midfield. Bit of composure at the edge of the box. And I've always thought he could play in there, Conan. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll all have to collectively agree not to listen to the back catalogue but he does he does brilliantly it's great feet and it's a great pass and yeah Ollie Watkins if he wasn't a centre forward makes the wrong decision and doesn't feed El Ghazi and it's a great two touches around the defenders and an absolutely fantastic finish but you know that's the type of thing we come to expect from Ollie Watkins and that's the type of reason that Ollie Watkins gives you to play him as our centre forward and not as our left winger <laughs> Like Brighton and Hove Albion definitely had more of the ball. I don't know if they were shading it. I think both teams were shit in how they were playing. I mean, Villa were sitting in a bit more accepting that Brighton were going to have more of the ball because they are further down the road and because that's the way they play. They, they dominate the ball. And then Villa were sitting back looking to counterpunch them, but neither team did that. Villa, Villa were swinging and missing, hitting midair, and Brighton were just shadow boxing around the outside you know yeah it was was a really really boring game it like honestly it's a form of defense what brighton are doing it's a very effective form of defense but like you're right they're not penetrating they're just controlling the ball and they control really well they get a lot of options in midfield they always seem to find space no matter how much you run and try to close them down they're they're well set up in that front but they're not set up and maybe just don't have the players to to really cut teams open like obviously trossard's very good they're missing mopai but like it it's just, it's it's all around the outskirts, and it's frustrating, especially when it's nil nil. And like that's the frustrating thing about you know the crowd then as well, because you're playing Brighton at home, people demand that you're up. And what was happening is Brighton were taking minutes and minutes and minutes out of the clock by just passing the ball around. And then when Villa got it, there was impatience and let's go, let's go, we have it, let's let's fucking score. We're playing Brighton, but if we did score and we got a second one, another. Fucking delicious John McGinn ball. And Mings follows up in what must have been one of the most satisfying goals to ever score. Like, just on a rebound, on a volley, tight angle. There's chaos going on around him, and he finishes it off emphatically. There's been a chance missed. Uh, you know, it's in the whole end, their limbs, game over. Like, what what a, what a feeling that must have been. Yeah, and he does absolutely brilliantly to keep the ball in play in the first place. And for a big centre half, I know Tyrone's decent with the ball at his feet, but to control that shot with the ball under his feet coming towards him at a fair old pace and him running towards the ball as well, that's so easy to cock up. I mean, had he not scored, it would have won the Rosenthal Award, so I'm reluctant to get too carried away. <laughs> but I mentioned how Brighton were playing there and I mentioned the crowd getting on the the fans' backs. So just, just minutes before Villa scored, they were booing because Villa got the ball and they were trying to keep possession and it was working around between Target and McGinn and it was going back to Nakamba and Target and and then the fans started booing and the worst person you want to get on the ball when that happens <laughs> is Terrell Mings who proceeds to lob it out for a throw and I'm just thinking, is that what you want? Is that was that what the crowd wanted? Like they wanted that bit of urgency and Tyro Mings gave it to you. That's <laughs> not what they were asking for. They weren't trying to hurry up, <laughs> kick it over to the lines, man. They were saying, let's do something with the ball here. And it wasn't just the frustration of of Villa losing. It wasn't how they were losing. The game was really fucking boring. And I mean, these people paid 20 to 40 quid to get into the game. And to be watching that, to be watching essentially nothing for so long after such a big build-up. I mean, we've been waiting for Gerrard's first game now for over well over, it must be two weeks now at this stage. And for it just to be such a damp squib after the first 10 minutes was really, really irritating at home. I can only imagine what it was like whenever you're watching it live. Gerard knows how to use John McGinn's arse. We said this could be the big 
defining moment of his managerial career, getting the most out of John McGinn because he's there to be utilised and he used his arse twice today to good effect and that was it. He didn't go back for more. He didn't get hooked on it. He used it twice when it needed to be used and he moved on. He was able to, to quit it when he had to quit it. He wasn't beholden to it and... And like McGinn was brilliant. Those balls dropping in over the Brighton right side of the fence were perfect. And and most importantly, there were people there as well every time he did it. So it was uh he was a dangerous looking player today. Yeah, he was back at his brilliant best with a few sprinkles of his woeful worst as well, but much, much less than normal, or much, much less than recently anyway. And the passes over the top, yeah, he was picking them out for fun. And it they're Difficult balls to play as well when you consider that the three Brighton centre halves are all six foot five. It was difficult, <laughs> difficult to get enough height on it to get it dropping down the other side. Ah, McGinn was brilliant. His tracking was great. His passing were brilliant, and his vision and his courage to try things as well, which John McGinn is never lacking, was still there. But it was coming off today, and it came off often. A good day, good vibes. We're going into WhatsApp when just feeling good. See you there. <laughs> There's nothing I love more than when a WhatsApp whinge ages during the game. <laughs> so it goes out of date in the course of real time. So I'll read it the first one. <laughs> I can't remember the last time Ollie Watkins didn't get caught on the ball. <laughs> well, like as I was saying, it's very fucking easy for someone to get caught in the ball when they're playing out of position. But he walked, <laughs> yeah. And you can see he was playing with someone who doesn't have the confidence to play in that position. He didn't really know what to do with it. And he can't go around the outside. Like Ollie Watkins is good on his left foot, but he's good on his left foot when the ball is in the box and he's just shifting it there to have a shot. Yeah, He's not going to be able to go around the outside of a professional footballer who's a defender. It it dribbles, obviously it dribbles on his right anyway, but it, 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 his whole body is always open when he's trying to go down that left. He's, he's playing like a completely right-footed dribbler as well, so it's not like he's conceding it. He's, you remember like Ramsey got across as he saw Basuna coming in and he just thought like, this guy's a mug, he's going to foil me, and he just stepped across. And Watkins, is always, his body's always open because he's always looking to get back in on his right or take a shot on his right. And he's right-footed and he's a striker and he's playing on the left. It's a... Ah, it's jarring, and he's just making the wrong decision. I feel like he's running when he shouldn't be running. He's dropping it off, and somebody's not there. He's out of sync with people there. It's just not. It's not where he should be. It's not where he should be. It's not where he's used to being. I I don't think it's worth it either, just to get Danny Ings into the team because Danny Ings isn't exactly firing in all cylinders whenever he has been playing. I mean, he's been missing an action the last four or five games. It was it's definitely not yeah. worth it. And it's every time that Ollie Watkins has gone in to centre forward. He's been much better, and we have been much better, and that's the key. I don't particularly care if Danny Ings is pissed off. That's grand. Let him annoy Watkins. Let him put Watkins under pressure. Danny Ings needs to get pissed off and improve his performances to force Ollie Watkins on the team. He's nowhere near the level that means that Ollie, Wat- Ollie Watkins yeah. gets shifted out to the left wing. Exactly. Absolutely not. Fuck off. And even at that as well. You could see when El Ghazi came on, we were so much better. We were so because we had two wingers on the pitch then instead of Ollie Watkins playing up front in his own. <laughs> but like, but you're so right to emphasise the Ollie Watkins part of that. Like, this isn't a this isn't a player. We're just trying to figure out where he is. Like, you know, we'll talk about Buendia in a bit and Bailey. You know, throwing people around to, to see where they, they become most comfortable. This is Ollie Watkins, who's been so important for us and. He's gotten into the England squad, scored a goal for England, like just just off the back of being that striker. Like he is, he is not the person we need him to be moving around. Move Danny Ings around if you're trying exactly. to find a position for him. Everything should be working from Watkins. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you don't try to shoehorn Watkins into the team. Our team starts off. Emmy Martinez is in defence. Esri Kanza centre half, and Ollie Watkins is centre forward, and you figure out everyone else around. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Second WhatsApp winch. Uh, we don't need Matt Cash diving. Oh, fuck off. Absolutely disgusting, pathetic, and so disappointing from such a hardy little footballer. I know. That, I mean, like, that's why we don't need Matt Cash diving. Exactly. When you have players like Matt Cash diving, it really does make you despair about how prevalent it is in the game, but also despair over the fact that we idolise utter morons. <laughs> the bar is higher, Matty. 
and we have VAR. You're fooling nobody. Get up, you cheating cunt. <laughs> and you know what I despaired most about that? He probably would have won a penalty if he had just kept going on inside him. Like, well, you know, he, yeah. he's, he's drilled him was strong. He, he, was, he looked strong. The player was just on. He had gotten inside him. He was already cutting across. At the very least, Cash would have got a shot off and got a corner. Like, he wasn't running out of road. He was in a dangerous position. And he, he might have gotten clipped if he had to just go on after the ball. Yeah, well, that's it. He would have had the ball at his feet. That's the main point here. He had his ball at the feet inside the box. Either have a shot or you might get foiled, but you just keep playing football until you're foiled. That's what you should be doing anyway from a moral point of view. And it is absolutely what you should be doing since they've introduced VAR. Third WhatsApp winch. These boys aren't fit. <laughs> It just looked like they were running out of steam, didn't they? Like, and again, it's like sometimes when Villa play teams who have a lot of strong, big players, physically imposing players, I feel like we look very small and weak beside them. Ah, we do, yeah. But our midfield is very, very small as well, and that's like that's where you lose games. The power that Villa lack in their midfield is absolutely it's it's killed us for the last twelve months. It's it's so stark in every game. Jacob Ramsey, John McGinn, both absolutely brilliant. Ten minutes later, whenever they were playing against the more physically imposing players that Brighton have in their team, they were fucked. That was it. They'd run themselves out of steam. They got a 15-minute break then at halftime, and they were good for another eight or ten minutes. Are they not fit, or do they just need a bit more practice with intensity, high intensity, and a new game plan? It does take a bit of adapting to, no matter how fit you are. It's like... Uh, you know, you come back from injury or you can be doing all the running you want, but ticks, you know, you need to get game fitness into you. And if you're playing a different game, I assume you need to get that fitness into you as well. Oh, absolutely. You get a different type of running power into your legs. You're lo- losing different muscles. It's like I've played, I've played five aside with a lad who could run a marathon under three hours, six minutes into the five aside game, he was blown. It's just a different type of running. And the yeah. way Dean Smith set up his team is entirely different to the way that Gerard tried to get us to play today. <laughs> yeah, last WhatsApp wins and then we're going to move on because we've got loads of, loads of tactical stuff to talk about in the next section. Loads of nominations for the Rossenthal Award, believe it or not. Um, and yeah, loads of questions we can't answer as well. Last WhatsApp wins. Just fucking win the ball back. <laughs> Just just go get the ball back, please. We never look close to taking the ball off Brighton. They seem to be able to pass it around for as long as they wanted. Yeah, but they were passing it around for as long as we wanted as well. I mean, they weren't doing anything with the ball. And when a team does that, you can go running around, chasing after, but also Villa can't do that. We've just talked about it. It was literally the last thing we talked about. The Villa players aren't able to go and hunt in packs. (laughs) and go get the ball off them. They can't do it. It's not on their legs yet, Conan. And Brighton were largely ineffective doing what they were doing. They had one shot in the first half. Who gives a fuck? Let them pass the ball around. And I am absolutely certain that going into that game, Steven Gerrard's main objective was to stop the five-game losing streak. That was all he was concerned about. The three points, I would say, were a huge bonus to Steven Gerrard. He would have been delighted with a draw today because Villa were in such a bad place the fixtures that are coming up are absolutely horrible so making sure that we didn't go to 10 games without a win was unbelievably important we definitely look more solid um I just think we <sighs> naive is probably the wrong word like there, there were there were less gaps between our midfield and defense which is good but there were still a lot of gaps between our attack and our midfield and defense. I mean, or in our defensive shape, and I just don't know. Like, obviously, like that's going to come, and they're trying to work on a new pressing style and things like that. But and like, this is you become um, contaminated when you're watching these other teams who do it well. Like I always remember Klopp talking about Firmino's role, and he always said we we can decide what size of pitch that we defend them. So like. Firmino was very good at along with the midfield and Salah or Mane at the other side at closing down in and then making it a quarter of the pitch that you're now boxing the team into. But Villa just never got that once today, I don't feel like. And the, the, the three top players might as well have been better off dropping into midfield because they weren't 
winning any ball back. It was so easy for Brighton just to find Basuma and come out that way. Yeah, and that's and that's what I was touching on at the top of the show. That's how he was clearly trying to play. It seemed to be only the three at the front who listened to him. I mean, they knew what they were supposed to be doing. They were absolutely abysmal at doing it, but they were supposed to be closing down the three centre-halves, nobody else. And because you've got players of such energy and mobility of Ramsey and McGinn, you can do that. You can leave them to figure out the midfield battle for themselves. And like I said, the pitch should be absolutely massively condensed. There's no excuse for Villa to play a low back four whenever <laughs> you've got Kanza and Mings. Mings takes one step for most all our professional footballers, three or four. The man is massive. <laughs> he just eats up the ground. And we all know how good Kanza is at moving across the pitch. Like Mings, like, I feel like, yeah, we probably haven't been exploiting that enough. Like, what well, we did it against Everton, where he just started dominating that left hand side. And he, he was on it tonight. Like, he knew when to go across and close down Lumpty. And he was. Yeah, he was tuned in as well, but like we really saw the the benefit of his physicality, his pace, his strength, and his decision making was good tonight. His decision making was good tonight. His his Tyrone Mings once again shows how good a player he is, and we'll just <laughs> have to see what he does the next game. And that's yeah. the that's the thing with Tyrone Mings. Awards categories next. See you there. We're going to start with the thoughts of the Villa podcast. Maybe it was just because I really didn't want to fucking lose to Leeds United. And the lifting up of Patrick Bamford with one hand, I did enjoy that because Patrick Bamford is an unlikable character and he's probably being a bit of a twat to Tyrone Mings all game. He's nothing like that either, is he? He's a real. He's, like if you, he's an uh, unlikable character. Like one of he's put on a foot. Patrick Bamford can't skin you. It's, it's not. It's not. He's not that type of player. It's not any game. Somebody put on a foot there. I felt all the pain. I imagine I probably sound as much of a, a biased, one-eyed idiot. Block the fucking shot. It was a fucking disaster. I did quite enjoy the hopelessness of their their grief with it, though, as well. Look, still happy. Not that it fucking mattered anyway. Sure, we were beaten anyway. Not that it fucking mattered anyway. Villa was shite. Like, there's, there's nothing but space. Leeds are going to be spanked a few times this season. Make no mistake about that. I mean, they're they're really well coached. They're really aggressive. They're really adventurous. But the players are shit. <laughs> the, the key line is that we're, we're well coached um, and very aggressive, but our players are shit. They're not either. They're not shit. I mean, that was great. That did have everything. The only downside, those Bromley accents, though, really go through you, don't they? Let's start with the Rosenthal Award. Matt Cash header early on. Villa were playing really well. They deserved the goal. The, the crowd would have fucking loved it as well. Gerard would have loved it. Um, it was just it was just great play. Uh, I mentioned before about knowing how to use McGinn's arse. That opens everything up. Watkins, like McGinn's finds Watkins over the top, pulls it back for target, lovely cross, and cashes in the back post. Gets it down, not much else. Decent save, but like it's it's not great power and no real direction on the header. Very, very kind words there. I mean, he, he looks like he's never headed a ball before. He, <laughs> he looks like he was trying to catch it with his forehead. It's, it's such a weird movement of the neck, like he completely mistimed it. It was like he was doing keepy uppies and he was doing that thing where you're spinning the ball around your head. It was... That was dreadful. It's such a waste of a good move as well. Danny Ings yet again, first touch lets him down. Buendia yet again, not playing well, and he finds a nice little pass, and, and Ings' first touch just takes it completely out of his feet. He should be scoring those. Yeah, absolutely. And it came immediately after Gerard was talking to the Perlim as well. He must have told him to do that. In all seriousness, <laughs> he probably just said to them, do something. Yeah. And yeah, it's the first thing that Buendia did that wasn't nauseating. And... <laughs> It's, it's it's dreadful from Danny Ings, and he has been dreadful for his first touch far too often. For somebody who has looked so good as well, I yeah. don't know, was he panicking in those situations? He would He's better off just hitting it first time if that's what he's going to do. It's like that's his bread and butter. It's, it's, it's like he's more comfortable with the salt and pepper. You know, but he, <laughs> he, he needs to get uh, the bread and butter before he can worry about the, the seasoning. Um, 
I don't know what sort of lunch I'm cooking up there, but it sounds awful. John <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, again, ball over the top again, down that right-hand side of Brighton's defence. This time it's target. It was Watkins who laid it off for target the last time, but it goes all the way through to target. He just has to drill it across, and Watkins will just run into it, and it'll go in, and, and target slices it out of play. Like That's the one. Remember Douglas Louise played a lovely ball to, I think it was um, Barkley, in fairness to him, <laughs> who controlled the volley lovely across, and Watkins scored. Yeah, and I think target goes for it far too much. He's putting far too much behind that because the ball is so good. It's pulled the defence across any sort of connection from target will be enough to get it to Watkins because none of the defenders or the goalkeepers are or the goalkeeper's feet they're set for it. They're they're not they're not getting there. So just get it across the box. It's fine. But Danny Ings again is just in the way. He doesn't know the target is behind him and he's walking backwards towards target and that really kills target's chance of having a good connection with a ball because he can only see it once it gets behind Danny Ings' his massive head. <laughs> Second last nomination, the Tyrone Mings header at the start of the second half. Uh, John McGinn, free kick. Jeez, McGinn was imposing on this match, really, when you look at the, the big chances as well. Like, this was a really good header, but actually it was like, a, I would say an Amy Martinez SA from the keeper and that he made it look like it wasn't a chance because of his position and he could step so far off his line and just close the angle. And whilst the header looked like it was going to drop into the bottom corner, the keeper was just in no way going to be threatened by it where he was. It's, a, it's an absolutely brilliantly arrowed cross. And with no angle as well. I mean, we shouldn't be crossing from that position yeah. on the pitch with his left foot as well. It didn't really make any sense, but it was so spot on, so on the money. And I, I thought it was a decent save, but a brilliant movement with his wrist to push it out. Because he's got plenty of time. And maybe that is, maybe you're right, actually. Maybe that is because of his feet, his footwork. And he gets across and he's got so much time then to watch the ball and make sure he pushes it clear. Yeah, I just remember thinking, what a fucking save, you bastard. And then watched it back and it was like, Jesus, like he was always going to make that where he was. It was, it was, he obviously read the situation well. And the last nomination, a beautiful Matt Target ball over the top for Leon Bailey. Like we could see this more, like we've seen him break away before against Everton. Um, he does have pace to get in behind when you're counter-attacking the team. And I think Gerard will like that as well, especially against the bigger sides. And Target finds him beautifully over the top. And Bailey volleys it well on his right foot. And it's too close to the keeper, but it's just a lovely connection. Yeah, it was. It would have been an absolutely unbelievable goal. One we'd be talking about all season, I'd say, had it gone in. But yeah, the connection is nowhere near good enough. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you have for the winner there, Hank? Matt Cash maybe but I want to give it to Danny Ings who won this this category too often just for not getting the ball under control yet again when he should be scoring the ball's being fed around the corner to your centre forward you expect to have a fucking shot yeah. never mind a goal I mean that is exact, like that is Danny Ings that is what Danny Ings is supposed to be about he's a threat in and around the box he should be taken the pass was so delicate how do you take a heavy touch from that I mean, you have to kick the ball away from yourself to do that. <laughs> it's fucking stupid stuff. Take a touch of the yeah. ball and put it in the fucking net. It was. It's like um, near the R three button on a PlayStation. It's like you've pressed it, but then you, <laughs> you want to take it back, you know. But you haven't taken it back in time, and the computer's already programmed that it's going to be taken out of your feet now, and it's too late. Uh, Tim Sherwood, we played two number tens and bamboozled them award. Um, like we've got a low enough bar at the minute, but there were two instances, two nominations of Steven Gerrard's talking on the line. Or you've got a forty-one thousand people in the stadium, and I can hear Gerrard sitting in Dublin. I can hear him all the way here. And the first one, like, sounds like a simple instruction, but you heard him from the other side of the pitch roaring, "John, John, John!" And then he pointed at him. John McGinn was drifting into the number ten position, and he pointed at him to get back to the right. And it was all about just keeping that line of three midfielders because this is what's happened too often with Villa. Like, just these pockets of space opening up and the defence being left at sea because players like McGinn were just sort of drifting away. And Gerrard was obviously keeping an eye on this and realising we need those three there, especially with the three attackers that we're using. And the fact that it was on McGinn's case, keeping him in line with everybody else, keeping him on the right, it was a big part of the reason why McGinn was so good today. 
Yeah, and I'm sure Gerard won't bring that up in a post-match press conference like Jose Mourinho did and say, yeah, John McGinn was very good, but I had to coach him the whole way through that game. <laughs> in the last, against Southampton, John McGinn, I, I think I gave out about it quite strongly, I would say, during that game where he just went absolutely tearing out of position, 40 yards out of midfield to close down the fucking goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> and like he has got such a propensity to do that. He just goes, it's like he's just wired to the moon. Like he's having a coffee every time we think he's having a drink of water from the <laughs> from the sideline. He's just, he's too hyped up and he does need to bring that control both into his attackings and into his defenders. Second nomination was a ball went over the top. Mings read it again, and Lamptey just thought, oh, I'm not even chasing this big cunt. Like, he's just going to get in the way. So Mings had all the time in the world to go retrieve the ball in behind. And a very, very simple instruction, and you can hear Gerard shouting it again. It was just one word, shape. And as soon as he shouted that, it's always a good sign. I know he's a new manager, but like you know, he's got authority. People know what they have to be doing in these situations. He shouted shape, and you could see players disperse into a wider shape. And the camera came short. Not that there's any reason, but you know, they people are obviously thinking, right? We've got a way of getting out of here now, and that's what that's what a good manager brings in, like he, just ways of being able to play football in different situations, and he has that <laughs> command. Yeah, it's it's almost like he had a game plan, and you know, various <laughs> in in game instructions that he could give his players. Imagine that. But so much of my life has been wasted watching Tyrone Mings stand with the ball at his feet as he scans the pitch looking at his teammates who are just standing looking back at him. <laughs> so any sort of instruction that anybody's shouting onto the sideline to get that ball moving up the pitch or even just to another player is absolutely fine by me. Last nomination. We've already touched on it. Ashley Young at centre midfield. <laughs> what a move, hey? What a move. Absolute masterstroke. And he was actually fine when he was in there. Not not alone was he absolutely amazing for the goal, and that came immediately. Maybe that just gave him the little pep in his step, the confidence <laughs> that he needed to play in the position. But he was good. He was he was good on the ball. He was shifting it. He was directing El Ghazi into the right positions. He was giving it back to target when he needed to. There was absolutely nothing wrong with, with Ashley Young at centre midfield. And maybe we should all apologise to Dean Smith maybe we should actually give him his job back because it turns out he's not an idiot. Ashley Young can play centre midfield. <laughs> in fairness, I think it might have been the Brentford game that Young played in there and he was he was decent. Like, you know, it was just the last time he played there, we were terrible, he was terrible. It was a... Uh, he overlooked, you know, Chuck Wemmega at our time of need. Um, it just... Uh, it's probably um, smacked of a manager then who was under pressure and losing the dressing room in a more global sense. Like, you know, people were starting to raise eyebrows and look for look for things in. But do you know what? Like you're you're talking about Ashley Young there and directing El Ghazi. It reminded me of the last five, ten minutes and I'm gonna bring in a fourth nomination and automatically make it the winner. It was just the reaction to going one nil up. I loved I love that idea of just going after them and going for a second goal. Like not like actually it wasn't even just that. It started with Gerard just urging people back up the pitch. Do not fall back. Do not let them now put us under pressure for ten minutes. Like don't don't let this be down to Tyrone Mings making or not making a mistake. Like let's let's get back up and pressure them. And then that just fed through the team. They got confidence. The the crowd got back behind them then. And we started playing our best football from like since the first ten minutes came in the last ten minutes because we scored the goal and we were we were going for a second one. We opened them up way more then, and yeah, like I, like that. That's it's good management, but it's exciting as well that you have somebody not going to let it drop and going for a killer when he senses blood. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a mistake that a lot of people make. I mean, you can keep the ball while trying to keep going forward as well. I mean, you can just shift your players further up the pitch so you have as many options, and you can still try to th- to thread balls through. Maybe not take as many risks. Maybe not try as many. Hollywood passes whenever you're in and around the box, but you can still progress the ball forward. You can still try things. And whenever you're 1-0 up with five minutes to go, you're not going to have to play Hollywood passes because the opposition are going to be coming out to try and get the ball back off you. So the space is going to be presented for you. So if you're brave on the ball, the chances will come. But also, if they don't, you can always then go back to Tyrone Mings who can go to Konza, who can go back to Martinez. Yeah. You don't have to just start doing that. 
you don't have to play the ball into Nakamba and expect him just to play it the way he's facing, which is always back towards his goalkeeper. That's not that's not the best way to keep the ball. You can keep the ball in any part of the pitch if you've got enough courage. Footballers can kill the ball dead and then pass it off to a teammate. As Roy Keane says, if you can trap the ball now, you can play international football. <laughs> Um, only one nomination for you like Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award let's remember Stephen Gerrard has a greater win ratio than Tim Sherwood at this stage so we'll, we'll go easy on him in this category for now crossing the ball for set pieces against Brighton like, yeah. talk about food and drink Lewis Dunk, Webster, Shane Duffy like this is dream stuff for those boys yeah, Tyrone Mings got a header, was nominated for the Ronnie Rosenthal Award. <laughs> and we had just come out of, I would say, seven games on the spin where we were talking about how absolutely disgusting our set-piece routines were. How we were all being conned by our new set-piece expert that this was an absolute shambles, that this was a fad, that this was a waste of time. Maybe it was about time we just went back to basics. Well, he kept Austin McPhee, but he obviously gave him a good stern talking to and said, I want to see some simple stuff going in there as well. And, like, do you know what? Like, a couple of those balls that Matt Target played earlier on were really nice. They were uh, the best thing that I, I say Westwood did for Villa was float those corners in for Benteke with that nice trajectory where it was always rising. And uh, I feel like Target was always giving the keeper a decision. He didn't know whether to come or go when they were landing at the back post. And what that did, once Villa did three or four of those, it then obviously gave you a bit more freedom to play a short one and try something a bit different. Look, I've already scuppered this category now, by the way, I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, that's not uncommon for you. <laughs> um, so we'll uh, we'll avoid it. Peter Enkelman, what the fuck award? I mentioned my target there. His <laughs> He brilliantly wins the ball back at left back and then plays a really dangerous ball across the edge of his own box. Just tees it up for somebody to, to come in and have a spank. They don't have a spank there and then, but it leads to the Trossard chance that Emmy Martin is bats away. It's hit straight at him. Matt Target won the ball back and rolls it to the outside of his box where nobody is. It was absolutely madness. I think it's it's so hard to try to to try to figure out what he was doing there because... Nobody was there. <laughs> it's like he just dropped the ball off and then turned around and said, oh, we're wearing claret. <laughs> and then it was panic stations. And obviously Brighton got a chance from that. Like I've always said, you give the ball away at the edge of your own box, you're going to give away a chance. <laughs> Two nominations here in a row. Anthony Taylor stop and play for Webster after Villa win the ball back for a counter-attack. He was down the whole time. He let Brighton play on, play on, play on. He's lying in the middle of the Villa box and then Villa win it back and bang, the whistle goes and the, the nomination I want to add in alongside that is Tyrone Ming shooting from 40 yards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Anthony Taylor decision is absolutely insane stuff. If he was genuinely worried about the player's health, he would have stopped. He wouldn't have stopped the game whenever there was absolutely no danger to the player anymore. Noted <laughs> everybody on the pitch is running away from the player except for Emmy Martinez. Although whenever Emmy Martinez is around somebody, maybe he should be a little bit worried. <laughs> um, last two nominations, like the the second last one now is, is insignificant, but you can imagine if this game was nil nil. Target and Buendia running into each other from a short corner. <laughs> John McGinn is waiting on both of the runs to go around the back of him and they just they don't appear because they've run into each other and he ends up losing the ball. We finally get it back, but he was waiting for his two options and both of them became zero options. Yeah, to be honest though, you know, there was already a zero in one of those two. <laughs> and the last nomination is Oh, probably the winner. John McGinn, the ball drops him on the left in the box. It doesn't shoot. It doesn't cross. It doesn't get closed down. doesn't move. He eventually tries to go by Webster and loses it. And it is the, the biggest, most natural, what the fuck was that reaction in a while? Yeah, you could see it all over his own face as well. <laughs> he knew. He knew. He, he had, the second he stopped, it was over. There was nothing going to be happening here. Like, it was... And then it was just five seconds of everybody waiting for the ensuing Brighton and Hove Albion goal kick 
<laughs> it was such a bad decision. And then it became worse because he subsequently didn't make a decision after that. Yeah, it was, uh, and it was one of those ones where it cuts back to the bench as well, and all of them. You can, like, it's, it, it, it's just a classic. What the fuck? Like he just had so much time. The fact he didn't get closed down made it worse. And yeah, you're right to say it's all over his face because that camera shot behind the goals caught him then as he ran out of play, and you could see he like, he knew that was pathetic. What I just tried to do, I just knocked it to the side. He pushed me away, and I lost the ball in the box when I was completely free. Three seconds after stopping the ball. In the, box. <laughs> the Vyman meter. Going up, Tyro Mings thought he was great. Going up, John McGinn. And going up, Matt Target. I thought he was... I, I, he obviously did get nominated for two what-the-fuck moments there, but um, he hadn't been having a good season, and I thought he was good defensively, considering he's up against Lamptey as well. And uh, I thought he was going to go off injured. He came back, he kept going, and his general play was good like that's more like the the target that gives you something in attack as well that makes it worthwhile that he he might be a bit looser in defense but he wasn't even loose tonight as well so that's why he's going up but that's the thing whenever Villa play tight in defense Matt Target is fine whenever the pitch is condensed for him Matt Target is absolutely fine and whenever he's got two players in front of him to go forward that's fine as well Matt Target whenever Matt Target doesn't have to run much He's generally grand. <laughs> and with the system we played tonight, which has always been Villa's best system, it has been their best system for the last three years, Matt Target is fine in that position. Going down, only one nomination because it's a good good day for Villa. I, To answer for any player getting a hard time and going through a bad patch and maybe feeling it from the crowd as well, it's never, ever been to throw your arms up and complain and ostentatiously show you're frustrated or feeling unlucky or hard done by. Teammates don't like that. Fans fucking despise that. And the way Emmy Buendia acted yet again after getting brought off, that would be really annoying anyway. But the fact that he's done it yet again after another really bad performance is starting to grind my gears they put it very very nicely like that almost almost like i don't want to speak for him and like maybe it's just more emotional than i am but like almost look like he would be happy if villa lost there when he come off and i do not want that in a teammate like lying around the squad especially when it costs so much money especially when they say give me the number 10 jersey now that it's free like start delivering like that's your answer managers don't have an agenda against anybody. Managers want to pick the best team and the winning team. And if you're not part of that formula, generally you are the problem. Sort it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I have much a much bigger problem of his protestations when he's on the pitch. I like whatever, yeah. whenever he's doing it on the bench, that's that's really irritating. It shows a little bit of petulance, but at least he's been taken off. He can't do anything about it now, so the frustration might boil over. But whenever you're on the pitch, you can do something about it. And there was one. In the first half, and the ball got played into midfield by the keeper. Yeah. And because Emiliano Buendia had graced us with a half arsed attempt to get within 15 metres of the Brighton left back, he threw his eyes to the heaven whenever he turned around and noticed that nobody had continued to press up behind him. I mean, if there's anyone up there, Emiliano, they're not on your side. <laughs> and they're preparing to smite you down. There's no deity I've heard. Of the preachers, go forth and be a whingy little shite. <laughs> like, it's like he's put out by pressing. Like he's doing us a fucking favour. I mean, I've got my eye on this lad. Attitude matters. And if you're going to flutter around on the ball as often as this lad does, then your attitude better be spot on. Exactly. Earn the right to lose the ball. I mean, the other way around it is to make sure you're doing three or four magical things during the game. Make sure you're the most decisive person on the pitch. The player that can do things, nobody else can. And I'll tell you, Conan, there's no animate adult that can't do the things that Emmy Bandia is currently doing. <laughs> there, there are very few inanimate objects, I would say, that can't, to be honest. Like flicks to no one, first-time passes to the advertising hoardings. I've never seen anyone with a greater desire to stand next to his teammates. Like I know... Yeah. I know he's at a new club and he must be lonely, but this isn't the time to make friends. Have a chat with him after the game. Just <laughs> running towards lads with the ball, playing two-yard passes, back to them, and then stepping even closer to them. Yeah. 
It's absolutely pathetic. And it would be unbelievably, I would be ripping him to shreds, even in the absence of his absolutely disgusting attitude. Like, people get frustrated um, at, you know, players losing the ball, making the wrong decision, especially when things are going badly. Nobody has ever singled out Trezeguet like that, for example. And Trezeguet's had bad game for Villa. But his attitude, like I said it before, I said it recently when we're going through a bad run, all people want is to know that you're giving your effort and not lip service, not not pretending. Like nobody buys that. Throwing your hands up in the air as if, what can I do about this? You can run after the ball. Like that, like that, like that's all you have to do. And that's all everybody will appreciate. And then, like, yeah, ideally, then you'd tighten it up and you'd stop standing next to Matt Cash whenever he's on the ball and you'd stop just giving it away whenever you want. But like it's 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 not good. It needs to cut it out. Like that would be the first thing I'd be chatting to him about. Like and you're right. Like I I've I brought this up last season with you about Grealish. I said, Oh, he's getting a bit uh yeah, he's starting to show a bit of petulance out there. I'm not liking it. You shot you shot it down. You shot it down because of what Grealish was giving us. Like Grealish was terrible in defence. But we laughed at it because of what he was giving us. Now, that's an extreme example. But that's what we're talking about. You better be that fucking good and that fucking important to the team if you're going to go on like that. And, well, either throw your arms up in the air or not be any use to the team in a defensive structure. And I have to tell you, he's also, at the minute, the worst player on the ball because he's the one giving it away the most and giving us the least output from the ball. So it's like he's not even close to being that player. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, like, think about think about marvelous Nakamba. He's lifted the roof the last two times he's played at Villa Park. Yeah, just because he's closed down somebody and put on a sliding tackle. Yeah, I mean, his passes are always to his teammates' wrong foot or just behind him, just too late. He doesn't know where he wants it, and that's because he never wants it himself. But because Nakamba closes people down, people don't start groaning and moaning whenever he loses the ball. They do whenever Emiliano Bundia loses the ball because he's acting like a little shit. <sighs> but it was a good day. Two <laughs> <laughs> 0 win. We uh, we've got a right on this lad, but um, but we're happy. Stephen Gerrard's here. His reign is up and running. A big, big three points, and great to see Villa Park rocking. And I have a feeling it's going to be like that a lot more this season. All right, questions we can't answer, but probably will. Is Xavi going to be Barcelona's Solskjaer? (laughs) (laughs) Rock on up to the New Camp Theatre. Come to the museum and see the old artifacts. Danny Alves, brought back from Sao Paulo at 38 years of age. Why didn't Xavi just play himself? He's only 41. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's just, he's there, he's, he's... he hasn't said the Barcelona DNA just yet, but he's definitely just talking about the Barcelona way. He's talking in platitudes. He's talking about the old days. He's bringing back the old days in the form of himself and the form of 38-year-old right-back, Danny Alves. I don't know if this is the answer. Well, I mean, we just have given out with somebody with a bad attitude. You know who does have a good attitude and who is younger than Danny Alves? The Scottish Cafu. <laughs> Alan Hutton is two years younger than Barcelona's new right back. You know who else is two years younger than him? Wayne Rooney. <laughs> that is, geez, that's grim. Every time you say that about Wayne Rooney, I always have a, an image of him. Like that same screenshot that goes round of him when people talk about Ronaldo being older than him. Yeah, exactly. Like Wayne Rooney's younger than Cristiano. Wayne Rooney was a teammate of Cristiano Ronaldo. And he was the younger member of that <laughs> <laughs> So, So which former Villa player, 30 plus, are you bringing back if you got the chance? Are you telling me it's a Scottish cafe? Oh, a Teresa guy? Yeah, 32 years of age, yeah. I, I can imagine everybody would be shouting for him um, if we didn't. Because I was going to go down the Milner route. And then and then I saw Christian Benteke banging them in today. <laughs> Not, like I thought, I know we've just talked about Ollie Watkins being <laughs> the centerpiece up there, but I have to tell you, Benteke's only 30, and I would love to see the big man back. Oh, imagine a front line of Ollie Watkins, Christian Benteke, and Danny Ings. <laughs> 
Yeah, send us your suggestions at thevillapodcast at gmail.com. Actually, do you get in touch with us if you do uh, have any feedback for us? <clears throat> Second question we can't answer, but probably will. But who is there to replace Solskjaer, really? <laughs> no, yeah, um, Man United were due to have a, a board meeting with Ole or not with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer tonight. The results are in. They're not doing anything just yet. <laughs> like, you know, I was sort of hoping they might because, like, where else can you go with this, really? Like, you know, Harry Maguire's at it again, but wh- what? What is there left to say about Harry Maguire? Like, we've talked about it all at least twice. Like, every single facet, at least twice. He gets caught in the ball. He did it again today. Like, Harry Maguire is the only player who loses that ball that he did against Watford today in 20 yards of space. He loses the ball in 20 yards of space all the time. And then he also goes and gets sent off because he does lose it. We talk about him being out of position. He's slow. We laughed at the idea that he was England's most important player. He's make Gary Neville was on before the Watford game. Said Harry Maguire is the future of the club. <laughs> Fuck me. Like what a what a future United fans have to look forward to. And like he's been excused because he missed one league game through injury. Like, you know, that like that was going on there for a few games. Maguire was shit, and it was like, well, he's coming back from injury. He missed one league game. Reports that he's no longer comfortable being captain because Ronaldo's there. Like this is a this is a Jeez. captain. Yeah, it's so so depressing. It's a captain who presided over a team that ate sticky toffee pudding on Fridays before games. You know, he stuck his fingers in his ears in the middle of the week because he scored against Albania and San Marino. Mika Richards and John Terry coming out, asking, where are the critics now? Let's see the pundits mention your goal-scoring record. A half a week later, a half a week later, and he loses the ball in 20 metres of space yet again, and he gets himself sent off. After Donny van de Beek, the man inexplicably outcast by Solskjaer was threatening to save Solskjaer's job until Maguire gets sent off again. Yeah, I mean, it's odd that we have to keep talking about how shit Harry Maguire is, but it's all the more strange that we're talking about the same error yet again. I mean, I saw him do this exact thing twice against Southampton. (laughs) And because on both occasions, the commentator said, Man United get away with one there. No mention of Maguire, even though yeah. it was a huge individual error on both t- at both times. The camera didn't even go back to him. Everyone just seemed to be pretending this was a mistake by the team, by the club, and the only mistake was signing him. Yeah. But because of that, because of Gary Neville's murdered him, like his willingness to sacrifice his own credibility <laughs> for a fridge, like I'm, I'm more attuned to this. And that's the reason it's remarkable. He's given away six or seven goal-scoring opportunities from having the ball at his feet. And he's a footballer. And four days ago, he had his fingers in his ears with the audacity to say he's not listening to his critics. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. But did you say Solskjaer's not been sacked? Because it was, it was announced as an emergency meeting of the board. Like, emergency? I can't think of anything that was treated less like an emergency. The, the paramedics pulled into a fucking petrol station here. They're standing there, humming and hawing over whether to pick up a donut or a pie for the heart attack patient they're meandering towards. It's been so obvious for so long that Solskjaer isn't cut out for this. His teams aren't set up to play games of football in no sense of the sport. And what they what what are they waiting for? What did he think was going to change? Like he has to become a different manager, an infinitely better manager. That means they're prepared. The board of the purported biggest club in the country are prepared to have an intern in the job. Mm. Like someone who has to learn how to do the job. Like they're trying to let him figure out how to be a football manager while he's their football manager. <laughs> His uh, interview afterwards just garnered a bit of sympathy and I thought, he's the man United manager. It's not the time to feel sympathetic because somebody out of his depth is now feeling that. Like I, I feel like Solskjaer over the last few weeks in particular, if not longer, knows that he should be sacked and he probably can't believe it himself that he's still there. Like and He's been given the out. The boards have been given the out. They've all said that Solskjaer was very important in bridging his gap back from Reno. Yeah, you know, great. Give him that legacy. Let him go. Gap has he bridged back? Man, you're worse than they ever were under Jose Mourinho. 
But fair enough, it had gotten a bit toxic, but as if it's not toxic now, Paul Pogba's still there, stinking the place up. Solskjaer's drop. Imagine if Donny van der Beek was being treated by Jose Mourinho the way he's being treated by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah. He begged Cavani to stay, and then they signed Ronaldo, and Cavani can't get a sniff of it. <laughs> Jesse Lingard was told to come back from West Ham, we're going to give you a chance. He's played 76 minutes in the league. Like These are all horrible, toxic managerial decisions from somebody who has apparently turned the club around. And they're fucking seven. They're a shambles. <laughs> Jimmy was being praised for how nuanced he was being in the transfer window because he signed fucking Danny James, Armand Basaka, and Harry Kane. This man is in a job because... <laughs> or Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire. This man is in a job because Presnel Kimbappe turned his back on Man United's third choice fullback having a spank of his bad foot that was flying widely over the bar and wide. That's why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the Manchester United manager. It's insane stuff. And his only achievement in three years is making a profit on Dan James. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing as well. It's always important. Like, remember when they were in the Europa League final? Like, this is only back in May. And then... like. Back in May, the, the all in thing was happening. It was in full force. Like the big trophy was there. Mourinho won that trophy years ago. Like it's not like the, he's bringing them back from the brink. Mourinho had already won the Europa League. He'd already won the League Cup. He had already gotten them second in the league, and then he'd started badly the next season. Like like he was always going to do anyway. So he didn't actually leave them in dire straits. He was just a cunt, and then they removed them. It wasn't like he completely obliterated the club. He's actually done a better job, but. It's, you know, this is Lampard Gerrard stuff now, talking about Mourinho and Solskjaer. <laughs> oh, actually, hold that thought. This is breaking news. Well, <laughs> news of a report from Samuel Luckhurst. Pretty reliable. United have decided to sack Solskjaer. Fletcher expected to take charge temporarily. Um, so there you go. Like, he could already be sacked by the time you're listening to this. Uh, looks like the rain could be over. Oh, I'm a little bit disappointed. It seems a bit hasty. <laughs> what the fuck are they waiting? No, no, wait, wait, wait. I'm only joking. <laughs> uh, that's like, you know, it, I actually am a little bit disappointed. It was good to have that in our lives. You know, yeah. anytime Villa lost, I could at least be, at least be assured that, you know, that we'll have done something fucking stupid. But now I, now that they've got Darn Fletcher at the helm, I'm sure that'll that'll all change now. <laughs> anyway, uh, don't want to talk too much. Completely unprepared for this. Well, shouldn't be unprepared for Solskjaer getting sacked, but um, that's the. Well, it took him three fucking years. So the guy, I'm unprepared for it. <laughs> yeah, it really filled a role in our lives as well. It is a shame, and I'm sure. Uh, Every non-United fan listening are a bit disappointed as well. Not just for the story, but for the effect he was having on Manchester United and on the league. So, best of luck, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I think probably the thing that sums it up most is, who wants him now? Who's going to take him? Like, you know, Frank Lampard's got his mates there pretending like he turned down the chance to manage Norwich. Nobody wants Frank Lampard managing their team in reality. And nobody wants Ole Gunnar Solskjaer managing their team. And that was the thing that stopped every Solskjaer fanboy in their tracks whenever you were arguing with them in, in a bar. You know, you said, do you think any other club in the Premier League would take Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as their manager? Yeah. And no other fan in the Premier League would say they would take him over their own manager, no matter how bad that manager was, no matter how toxic the situation had gotten at their own club. None of them would have taken Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and he was manager of Manchester United. <laughs> <sighs> last last question we can't answer why is Arteta trying so hard to be Pep <laughs> well why is the media trying so hard to make it out that he is Pep I mean I saw the aerial shot of Mikel Arteta running towards Klopp at half time and you could see him change the angle of his approach to make sure that the fourth official was between the two of them. <laughs> and maybe maybe he just started to realise the closer he got how big Klopp is. And maybe he has difficulty understanding the difference between something being small <laughs> and something being far away. But then like even after that, after he was more than willingly dragged away 
he was doing that old hold me back trick. One mm. of his assistants had him so limply by the wrist and he jumped into the air towards Klopp. Like he moved forward about an inch under no resistance. It was <laughs> pantomime stuff. <laughs> and all over two lads going up for a header. Exactly, exactly. And it was all about Manny as well. And the funny thing is, like I said, pantomime stuff there, the classic cry of he's behind you would have been so opposite there because Manny was the one that Arteta Tessa should have been worried about instead of letting <laughs> Ben White try to fucking deal with him. <laughs> yeah, well, it backfired. I mean, I, Graham Sooners was spot on. And I had I, I sent out a text beforehand um, saying that, you know, I have a feeling that Arsenal are going to get done today like you know, in a big way in an emphatic way and you know, they had been going well but as soon as they'd mentioned that yeah, they're beating a lot of teams that aren't going well like they beat Spurs who sacked their manager they beat Villa who sacked their manager it's like eight game on beating Rome which is decent but they came up against Liverpool and just got strangled completely strangled couldn't get out of defence um, it was 2-0 for ages and Liverpool missed a chance offside like it was just constant pressure and it was like the third was always coming and sure enough four came quickly enough and it was just they were talking about Arsenal top four afterwards like you know what like they were talking about the gap to the top four but fuck me like the, it's not worth talking about at this stage no like no one's talking about Brighton top four either I mean yeah. it's it's not going to happen it's, it's absolutely fanciful stuff it's going to take a long time for Arsenal to get back to that level of competitiveness. I mean, just look at the players on both sides of the pitch. It's the same thing as Aston Villa fans demand in Europe. You know, like just let's be realistic here. What you're saying is you want Villa to catch a team that have Kane, Mora and Son up front. It's mm. just not on. Like, I don't care about the differences in the managers. Sometimes some teams will break through. That's fair enough, but they're so far off. If they do, it's a miracle and it won't be sustained. Welcome to Aston Villa, Stephen Gerrard. It's good to have you here. It's going well. You have our backing. And we go again. I'm not going to do that every single podcast, I promise. It's coming out naturally at the minute. Hopefully I can weed it out. But we got Crystal Palace away next Saturday. And we will chat to you then. All the best. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.